Hello, bold and conscious leader. Welcome to our new and refreshed 2022 season of the Bold Conscious Connections podcast, where we bring to you people who have shown special courage, character, and consistency to express themselves fully. After all, as long as we're alive, we want to live a full life, don't we? So our guests that we bring demonstrate that they do not want to die with their gifts because we're all meant to be given gifts that we share with others. And this is how we play our part in raising our collective consciousness in this world through this podcast called Bold Conscious Connections. So without further ado, let me bring on our guest today. My conversation with Nitin was so full of nuggets and leadership wisdom that for those of you out there wanting to navigate the uncharted waters of 2023, you'll find incredible inspiration and some tools that he talks about. Nitin Rakesh is a distinguished leader in the technology and financial services industry. He's currently the CEO and managing director of Emphasis, which is a company that's leading large transnational operations and delivering transformative digital solutions to Fortune 500 companies. He's a computer science engineer at heart. His lifelong passion for innovation technology is evident in everything he's been doing throughout his career. With his deep knowledge in banking, financial services, and insurance, strong customer orientation, and an entrepreneurial mindset, Nitin has been able to bring cutting-edge offerings consistently to accelerate the value creation for his customers, shareholders, and employees. Under his leadership, Emphasis has set a record for the highest deal wins in its history. It has witnessed growth of market capitalization from $1.7 billion in 2017 to $4.8 billion in 2023. Unbelievable, really. He is redefining benchmarks and growing above the industry rate, not to mention the stock price growth. He's also an author of a book that really took the business world by storm. It's called Transformation in Times of Crises. I also happen to know Nitin. He's a loving husband and father. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Nitin Rakesh. I am so delighted here today to welcome my friend Nitin Rakesh. Nitin is a distinguished leader in the technology and financial services industry. He's the CEO and managing director of Emphasis, a company that focuses on digital design and transformation for enterprises. He's been uh, doing this for 20 years, managing large transnational operations and delivering transformative digital solutions to Fortune 500 companies. He's a computer science engineer at heart, and Nitin has, has a lifelong passion for innovation and technology that has been always manifest throughout his career. Under his leadership, Emphasis, the company he is the CEO of, has set a record of highest deal wins in the history and witnessed tremendous growth in the last four years, going from $1.7 billion in market capitalization to nearly $5 billion. Uh, as of a month ago. Anyway, I'll dive into some of these things with Nitin. Um, he's also an author of the book called Transformation in Times of Crisis. Really delighted uh, to welcome you here, Nitin. Thank you for having me, Roger. Great to be here. Well, you know, I have personally witnessed you for almost, what, 15, 20 years, um, your fascinating growth, your transformation for yourself. And, you know, I always know, and we all know that the turning points come in our life when you're down and out and then something happens and not everyone you know, we can rely on luck and things like that. But can you touch here your story of what led to what looks like a personal transformation? And I've seen your, as I said, your personal growth. 
What do you think led to it? Is there a decision point when I last met you and you were at the asset management company in India and, and now here you are? So talk to me about that. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, if you reflect back on 50 some years of life that uh, I've had, especially the last 20, 25 years of professional life, you definitely uh, have certain pivot points or uh, inflection points that stand out. There are a couple that do stand out, right? Right out of uh, business school, conventional wisdom would have been, you know, I'm an engineer, should be getting into consulting because, you know, that seemed to be the best fit for my background. I had, uh, you know, a, a couple of interesting options to, to, to consider. But I made a very strange, quote-unquote, choice to actually go into financial services and join a quasi-government company that everybody thought was a very strange decision. But to me, that, that decision was made purely based on the fact that if I didn't take a chance when I was 23, 24, whenever, when would I take a chance to learn something that I knew nothing about? So I think I, you know, that, that was uh, probably, in hindsight, a great place to learn, even though you know, it, it tests the, the character of working in a, in a culture that was very different and very hierarchical. And, and, and yet, you know, I found the opportunity to, to really spread my wings and learn new things. And then, of course, uh, the second personal pivot point was, uh, you know, and, and I, you had some of these yourself, Raju, I'll compare it to, to what you went through. But, you know, surviving 9-11 in New York was a big one. It was, there was no reason for me to be in New York. I lived in, in Bombay, but we were building a business that needed me in the U.S. quite often. I lost a good friend of mine and a colleague. In fact, he took the meeting that I was supposed to be at. That was, I think, a number of ways. I was 30, not even 30 years old. I was just about turning 30 that year. I think that was a big, in a way, I would say a wake-up call because it wasn't anything different I had to do, but it was just, uh, it was too close for comfort. And uh, while I didn't get on a plane for the next 18 months, you know, for, for obvious reasons, but it definitely, I think it had a big impact on my personality. I started taking life a little bit less serious. I think uh, there was a personality change that happened as a manifestation of, of that stark, uh, you know, close brush with reality that I saw. And then I think on the, over the, over the next, you know, many, many years, you know, we obviously you go through career choices and, and you do what you think is the right thing to do. But I think you talked about the, the asset management choice. And that again was, I've done this, you know, I've done the tech and consulting work for a while. Uh, I built a joint venture with a very large U.S. bank, set it up. I think that's when you and I met. Yep. Uh, when you were at Morgan Stanley. But, you know, maybe I should be doing something different. So I think to me, the pattern that really does come across is getting out of the comfort zone, pushing yourself to, to take on, you know, a, a professional engagement that you would really be uncomfortable with because you're like fish out of water for the first, you know, 18, 24 months. Yes, it's exciting because there's a learning curve, but, you know, the higher up you go in your career, the higher the pressure also is because no one's going to give you a free ride for, for learning have to also deliver, you know, a certain, uh, you know, business outcome. So I think that was kind of the, the phase that I was in when, when I went into the asset management business. And I did come back into tech and consulting. And there was another similar, I would say, a pivot point when I had the opportunity to do something remarkable because I partnered with Blackstone to buy this company called Emphasis out of HP. You know, great asset, great brand, but was a little bit of a has-been. And again, conventional wisdom, I got a lot of you know calls and messages from my friends when they found out that this is what I was doing. Hey, you're running a successful company called Intel. Why would you want to take a chance like this and go into a company that was so yesterday's company? And you know, it's a big risk to your career. It's a big risk to your, uh, you know, your your credibility. And I think there's an interesting story that uh, I still remember from my very first year at Emphasis. Uh, you know, I was a I was at a semi sales meet. You know, about 80, 90 people from the company, and I was meeting them. California had a, had a pretty uh, 
interesting vineyard in Garlic City, Gilroy. And the whole idea was to get to know the sales team better and, you know, nothing breaks them, breaks the barriers better than uh, wine, I guess. Uh, so, you know, this was like late in the, late in the night. Uh, this was the first time I was in flesh and blood with so many people from the company. I came into the company kind of laterally. I don't really, I don't remember knowing anybody in the company at that point in time. And, uh, you know, of course I knew the stakeholders and the, and the board by then. So, you know, we start going around the table and somebody starts this sequence of, you know, you can all ask one question to the newly minted CEO. And this is going to be a no holds barred question. And, you know, hopefully the, 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 the truth will come out of the answers. And I'm like, sure. Uh, so we start going around the table. And that this one guy who'd been at the company for about five years, he says, I, I'm very curious. You know, you came into the company, you knew nobody, you know, we met you after you had joined. What was it that made you take a bet on all of us? That's why guy's name is Anil. I said, Anil, I can give you two answers. One that will make you feel better and the, and the other that is actually the reality. No, 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 I want the real answer. So I look him in the eye. This pin drop silence by now, you know, across around the, the bar counter. And I can feel like 90 pairs of ears just itching for the answer. And, and my answer was, Anil, I'm very sorry to say I didn't take a bet on any one of you. I took a bet on me. I, I think that's kind of, in a way, you had to dig deep, uh, you know, why you do these kind of things. Because one, you know, you push yourself to find the next frontier. Two, you, it's not that you have a point to prove, but I think just finding, uh, you know, a purpose and a mission that aligns your passion uh, gives you the ability to make an impact. I think the impact really is, is the biggest motivator for me. How can I impact, you know, not just the business, but the stakeholders in the business, right? Employees, customers, mm -hmm. shareholders, uh, families. And I think there are many, many stories about impact, especially during COVID that uh, I had the opportunity to make that impact. And, and it's very gratifying that I, had the, I was in a position to do so. So I think that's a little bit of the, of the background of, of the last 25 years of professional life and a couple of the pivot points that I remember. That's fantastic, man. You, so you're all about taking chances and the chances that you're talking about is taking on chances on you. There is a risk to that, right? Because it's easy to fall into a safety mode, and so I think. Well, I've I've certainly seen that you do that in person, but boy, I haven't seen you now in a, quite a few years, maybe five or six years. But yeah, so I think um, it is all about you know the chances we take on ourselves and getting out of the comfort zone and all the leadership things that we all talk about, but then you're living them in, in in different ways as well. So we'll get to the book quickly because I know that that's. Uh, it was a very hot topic uh, during the whole COVID and post-COVID. So I'm going to ask you a couple of questions about the book at its gen in its if, of its genesis. So, so Jerry Wine is that the co-author of Jerry Wine and you? Yeah. Jerry Wine and you wrote this book, as I said, called "The Transformation in Times of Crisis." If guys, you're still listening to this, go get a copy. It's amazing to to read that, particularly in these times that we're living in. So, books are written for many reasons. All right, Nathan. Um, what led for you to, uh, whose idea was it? What led to writing of this book? Who pioneered it? Who sponsored it? Sure. I think uh, we actually didn't start writing the book during COVID. The book was almost ready to be published as COVID happened. And it had a different avatar to it. And that's the backstory. It's in the book as well. Jerry and I met when we were doing a customer conference at the Wharton Business School where Jerry was a professor of marketing. And he had just taken the emeritus status. And the workshop was really late, I would say, uh, late 2018, the workshop was around disruption and how to deal with it because almost every enterprise was dealing with some form of tech-led disruption. Right. And the insight from the workshop to, into the workshop really was 
uh, how do you architect your own disruption so you don't get disrupted by something? Topic was architectural disruption. And the two or, two or three key insights that, that at least I brought into the workshop, and you know, I've been a keen student of tech all my life. I think everybody thought technology is leading disruption. My point of view was it's the consumer that's leading the disruption. Tech is just an in it. If you, if you can't, as an enterprise, you know, understand who your customer is and give the customer products and services that they really need, highly personalized manner, then you're, you're going to start getting disrupted, whether it's at a business level or whether it's at a unbundling of your entire service landscape and parts of that get disrupted. We've seen that happen to retail and media and payments, and I think it's conventional wisdom. Yeah. So Jerry was a moderator. I was a participant. At some point in the workshop, I got very passionate. I stood up, went to the whiteboard, started doing a drawing around business architecture. This is where the consumer is. This is where your business is. This is what you need. You know, you need data and AI to be able to understand what the, what the customer wants. You really do. You really have a view of the customer that you know that you can make decide to to offer products and services. And how often do you get a call from the bank offering you a credit card when you already have the same credit card? And so on, right? So workshop got over. We were doing a debrief at the end, and Teddy said, "You know that I took a picture of that whiteboard drawing that you did. It's amazing. You should write a paper on it, because I, every enterprise that I talk to, you know, needs this level of thinking." I'm like, "Jerry, I don't have really time to write because I, I just took on this role. I'm really busy, but you know, I do like writing. Maybe if you help me write the paper, you know, I'm sure you've written a couple hundred paper as the as a prof. That's right. Yeah. So of course, I've written a few hundred. So we we we." We agreed to meet again and uh, start writing the paper. We get on a call two weeks later and Jerry says, I changed my mind. I'm like, mm-hmm. uh, you want to help me write? He says, no, I changed my mind. You need to write a book because people want to justice to the depth of uh, insight that you brought into that into that session. And my first instinct was I laughed and I said, you must be kidding. I never thought of even writing a book. He says, don't worry, I've written 19. I'll help you. I have two conditions. You have to be the first author and all the proceeds have to go to charity. Those are not conditions here. You are being very, very generous. So that's how we started writing the book in 2019. It hmm. took us about 15 months. COVID happened. The first manuscript was almost 80-90% done. The editor wasn't getting engaged. We basically decided to self-publish. But then again, you know, in usual style, Jerry gets on a call with me in the end of March 2020, about two weeks after lockdown, and says, we cannot publish the book because the disruption only happened. There is nothing called architecture of disruption to be talked about anymore. No one's going to buy the book because trust me, I'm a professor of marketing. No one's going to buy this book. So he convinced me to reconsider. And of course, I had to kind of go back and look at data in my typical engineering mindset. We looked at data and we saw that truly disruption had happened, whether it was e-commerce, whether it was telemedicine, even you know art galleries and museums going digital. So we effectively said, well, then maybe the book has to be about how to use the crisis to accelerate the change. And mm-hmm. that's what the book ended up being. We self-published. We launched at the end of 2020. Probably the first book that came post the crisis that talked about the crisis. And uh, I think the the biggest takeaway for me from the exercise of writing the book is I think I learned a lot about myself. So it was a point of view. It was a point of view that he had. I think it's very easy to you know. Of course, we are all business guys. We love powerpoints and. Mm-hmm. Easy to put it on a slide, but it is actually not so easy to to make a convincing argument about anything uh, if you have to write it on a you know in words and you you don't have the ability to convince people with your voice and your and your body language. Mm-hmm. So I think the first you know the first big takeaway was power of conviction you know really matters when you have an idea and you, you know to back it up with with credible point of view needs a lot more work and you dig deeper. So I think I kind of went you know deep into into some of the some of these topics. It is character building exercise. It takes a lot of patience. You've just written one. It's frustrating because you sometimes get this block that you you thought you had a great point and then you can't put it on paper. That's right. You know? But having someone like Jerry mentor me on that on that journey was amazing. 
having someone, you know, some of the people that, you know, we got in touch with when we were writing the book, uh, you know, including the more, you know, the father of modern marketing, uh, you know, is, is amazing as well. So I think, uh, I'm lucky that I had the opportunity and I, I'm glad that I have a point of view that is out there. By the way, the other big takeaway from I mean, what you have to get over is, uh, you are actually exposing yourself when, you know, with, with the topic, when you write a book and you send it out in the, in the universe. In the world, yeah. You, your point of view is now black and white. And yep. you open yourself up to critique, debate, uh, disagreements, and some of that happened, of course, that's uh, in, all in great uh, life-changing manner, but uh, it, it does happen. I'm telling you, man, Nathan, you're having seen this, and now I'm seeing this in a different way from a different perspective. You're a guy that always gives credit to others. Yes, you are authentic in the way that you, you describe your, your feelings and what you had, and you're being so straight and honest. I just love that about you. So appreciate that. So in the, in the, just on the book. So, you know, I haven't gone into the depths the way obviously you wrote and what you were writing, but when you look at these frameworks and you see all that you're putting together, these eight principles, I couldn't help but notice, you know, when it comes to the third principle, which is, which is called what speed up digital transformation and design for personal personalization scale. You mentioned that the disruption comes from the customer. But oftentimes the customer doesn't know what they want, right? Where is the disruption coming from? So in today's um, world, technology is largely fungible. There are very, very few pockets of, wow, amazing disruption that's happening in technology. Of course, you know, people's minds are working on whether it's AI or any of these other things, but but the human brain is capable of a lot, lot of things. So that's that continues. But in terms of using technology, making things better, it's fairly fungible. Uh, so what sets maybe perhaps emphasis apart uh, from your perspective. And then when I was looking at the first one, challenge your mental models and always stay ahead. I mean, that sounds pretty, I'm sorry to say, but fairly commonplace, pedantic in a way. But every company in every industry can find its opportunity, as you say, it, in crisis, if the executives are, use that as an opportunity and re-examine it. So there was that. And then you say, oh, well, the, the disruption comes from the the customer side, and then you're saying personalize it. So I was just trying to reconcile these two in my head. Could you just shed some light on if, if there is a relationship between one and three or or any of these others for that matter? I think there's a there's a deep relationship between all the eight principles. Uh, but the first one, which is challenging your mental models, is uh, probably the foundational principle, not just for business, but in general. Um, yep. And I think this is the old, old school debate about growth mindset versus fixed mindset. Yep. And Again, you know, I had to go through that whole challenging my own mental model. Even after I'd written the book with the first chapter of challenging it. Because when Jerry asked me, you know, to reconsider the, the the book because he thought the disruption already happened, my first instinct was, oh, we put so much blood and sweat into writing this book. How can you tell me to not, you know, publish it? But then you take a step back and you really, really start challenging your, your own thinking. You realize that, you know, there is a perspective that, you know, you probably wouldn't have heard if you kept your mindset to be very fixed and really didn't challenge yourself. So I think it starts, especially at the leadership level, it starts with that whole concept around mental model. It starts with the whole concept around the art of the possible because otherwise there would be no progress. There is no, uh, I think time and again, whether it's innovation, whether it's application of that innovation, whether it is, you know, I mean, Elon Musk didn't take, you know, the world's first idea of an electric car and turn it into into a trillion dollar business. Electric cars uh, ruined the world a uh, hundred years before that. Mm. In the turn of the last century, 1900, 50% of the cars in Manhattan were electric cars. So it's not a new idea. Right? It's really about how do you, you know, idea found a lot of favor with ESG and environment and, yeah. and uh, you know, and, and the emissions. So I think that's a great example of, you know, how, how you will continue to, to find opportunities if you, if you really start thinking about 
challenging that model and, and really adopting the growth mindset. And then you talk a little bit about the fact that, you know, consumer doesn't often know what they want and how can they be driving disruption. I actually think that's a little bit uh, insulting to the consumer because the consumer may never, not always want what they want, what they need, but they always know what they don't need. Yes. Uh, and they will vote with their feet. So I think the, the simple insight there is given the digital revolution that started with the, with the smartphone wave in 2007 with the launch of first you know, iPhone, and the whole world became appified over the next five, six years. Everything turned into an app. Everybody thought it's a new channel. I think what we lost sight of was the fact that the level of empowerment the consumer got with the digital device in their hands gave them the ability to choose who they wanted to do a business with on their own terms. Consumers weren't beholden to a business enterprise and I'll give you a very simple example. In the earlier days, you wanted to do, do banking. You got to go to the bank between 9 a.m. and 2 p.m., five days a week. Yes, internet changed a few things, but really didn't change the model of banking. You, could still, you couldn't still transfer money at midnight. You know, you still had to wait for the next morning to, to do that. But given the, the, the explosion of digital-led companies that really started unbundling these inefficiencies, Consumer then had the choice to not only deal with the bank, you know, based on the brand of the bank, but also based on the experience that you get with the bank. If you let me do business with you on my terms, and it's easy to do business, I'm all here. If not, I'm going to take my business and go somewhere else. So I think that that's really what I meant by the fact that consumer uh, is driving disruption because consumer is being given the choices by digital entrants that make them aware of what they can have. And they don't have it with their existing service providers or companies. You know, consumer loyalty is no longer just to, to brands, it's to brands and experiences. And that's what really is the, is the heart of what the disruption has been all about. And I think having gone through COVID, we've seen what digital engagement can do. Uh, you know, we're seeing a little bit of pullback in that right now, but I don't think the, the trend is, uh, is going to reverse anytime soon. I think if you, if you then think about a companies like Netflix, they really perfected the art of telling the consumer what they need to see. That is the reason why every dollar invest in content has a three to four times higher chance of success than a traditional studio, because they're working backwards from what they think customer needs based on all the data they have on that customer. That's a perfect example of how to use tech to drive a very highly personalized experience for the end customer. So... I love the parallels you're drawing between your your own belief system, which is the mental model, whatever you want to call it in the first principle, and then saying, well, how does it apply to my life? We all don't know what to focus on as far as what we want. We are constantly, it's so easy to come up with a long list of things that you don't want and don't want to face in your life. And it's just, it's the reverse of maybe one or two things you really want in life, you're not able to describe. So I like that parallel. So in the Netflix ex example also though, isn't it? Is it customer driven? I know it's a personalized experience, but how was it driven by the customer? So I guess you're saying it wasn't necessarily driven by them. You know, maybe this this revolution that happened with your with the you know the the app appifying yeah. maybe the catalyst. But then you say, oh, this is possible. The customer says, well, then you know, give me more of this that's personalized. So the customer stopped going to the movie theater. That was the disruption for the movie theater. That was the disruption for the Hollywood studios. And yes, the customer drove it because they they found a level of experience that was unparalleled and highly personalized. So I think that's a good example of why the customer is driving disruption and tech is just the enabler because the same tech has been available to all the studios ever since Netflix launched. And mm -hmm. Netflix itself wasn't really a streaming company to begin with. So I think there's so many examples, so many data points in there in just that one story. Awesome. All right, so let's switch gears a little bit. So I was going to ask you if you just said, you know, how do you redefine, you know, different standards? And so coming to 
what you've been through now in the 20 plus years and now in this position that you that you're in have you changed your own uh definition of success like when you say success on your terms how do you redefine success for you and what how do you describe it today for yourself i think the definition of success changes uh based on the phase of life you're in and the stage of your career of course when you are early in your stage of career you just want to be heard you just want to have a voice you want to own the right and and you know to to have an opinion and for someone to listen to your opinion because trust me you know all of us start out with the idea that you can change the world and then you know slowly you start getting harder and harder, you know more harder and more harder but you know the 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 success definition early on is really all about you know can i really make an impact can i really be heard am i going to be respected you are you craving for respect and acceptability mm-hmm. and of course you know then you get all the other financial metrics in there and said i want to be compensated well i want to see growth i want to make value create value i want to have equity uh you know of course you you know you want to buy your house and your car and everything else that goes with it and i think if you come to a point where parameter of success isn't financial anymore it's really about impact uh you know reputation the ability to create a story that everybody gets inspired by uh the ability to to build up a, a little bit of a personal brand that you know that becomes your legacy uh and of course at some point the the definition of success turns into you know what am i going to do to give back uh how is the impact going to be on the larger you know group of people you know some people decide to go sit on board some decide to go teach uh, at business schools or or wherever so the definition of success always will change if it is just monetary i think that's a very dry purposeless kind of success criteria mm-hmm. but to me at least it, it cannot just be you know unidimensional it has to be uh, multidimensional and and of course uh, it's not an easy straight line ride either because remember when you're looking to at least in my case when you take chances there are periods when you feel completely desolate because you know you second guess your own decisions uh, you you think you took put too much at stake Uh, you have to go find inspiration from somewhere without necessarily having to be able to talk to everybody because you know you're you don't even know that being ceo is a very lonely job mm-hmm. uh, you know you still have to project that confidence and, and inspirational you know outlook but at the same time you know you have to dig deeper as well so absolutely there are there is no way you can have a unidimensional criteria for success and a unidimensional trajectory for that success so i'm sure by osmosis or otherwise your team members and people who work with you hopefully feel that and that you know that you know you cannot be just you know using money as your yardstick for for your success i assume so i, I hope mean, so i hope so yeah so we've talked about some of the obstacles and turning points in your life um you know everything all the work that i do has to you know is is defined in bold uh terms or conscious terms i mean you're you're you wouldn't be here with the depth of the growth you've had and the you know the continued uh session to go into to depth because it's the depth that causes to be bold in my opinion but we define bold in in the book uh and otherwise is that there are five elements one is that you're ambitious you're 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 convinced about whatever it is you you're as you said in like in your book you had this thesis third you're decisive you don't need all the you know, piece of piece of information to make a decision fourth the fourth and fifth are two that are probably you know we've heard lots of controversy around oh what do you mean by this is heart-centeredness and and lastly is humility i see elements of all of that in you of course But what is it what is it when i say you know being bold what does that mean to you and why is it important in your work today i think uh, it is uh, both in life and in business you have to make certain bets and you have to have you can't make a lot of bets 
you have to make a few, but you have to make them in conviction. Mm -hmm. And I think uh, to me, being bold really is about backing up your conviction with action and having the humility to course correct because everything you're convinced about is not going to be right. And I think those are the that's really the way we've built out our trajectory of our business. Uh, I try to follow those principles in life in general. Uh, you know, your, for example, the bet we made at Emphasis in 2017-18 was about the fact that enterprise consumption of technology will pivot dramatically for the first time in the history of, of uh, compute, where every enterprise will change the way they consume technology. They will go from having everything in their control in the data center to actually consuming everything on demand as a service. Mm -hmm. That is just very simply the biggest bet we made. And now, it, you know, you can say it's an oversimplification, but unless you simplify things, you really won't know what your conviction is about. Right now, when technology is interestingly so many shiny new toys that you can just get lost in the minutiae and not really have a, have a point of view on anything, but want to be able to do everything. So I think to me, simply, you know, synthesizing, crystallizing those simple two or three high conviction, uh, you know, ideas that you want to really back and then really going all out. And of course, having the humility to to realize what you need to change is uh, its definition of being bored. Uh, also, I think the ability to to carry people with you because nobody can do everything by themselves. I came in laterally. Uh, I needed to carry the team with me. Uh, otherwise, I wouldn't be successful. And again, I've learned it the hard way. You know, this wasn't my first CEO stint, but at least this time around, I, I really practiced the art of inclusion. Everybody asked me for the first six months in the company, you know, what's your strategy for emphasis? And my answer was, I have a point of view but I don't really have a strategy because I don't know you. We will evolve the strategy together and we will marry my point of view with your strengths. And what are those three bets that we make? But you will all help me decide that. And I think in hindsight, that was probably the biggest uh, reason why I was able to align the company towards those goals. That's masterful, my friend. Awesome. Well, it's one thing to say, it's another implement. So you know, you're proving it. Um, does any of this apply to, to outside your, your professional life? It's easy to talk about the work, of course. But, but clearly, you, you must know, like uh, it, it does, uh, knowingly or unknowingly. Uh, you learn the hard way not to carry being CEO at home because <laughs> it doesn't work. Uh, here, I think the ability to get mentored by a teenage child is probably the greatest gift because you learn things that you never have otherwise learned. Right. Uh, then how do you open yourself up to some of those learnings and how do you take it back into saying, okay, maybe I haven't thought, thought this one through. Uh, I think that's... Uh, that's just the way to to think about outside of work. Of course, you know, I may be a great mentor to many people at work, but you know, if I could just be half of that to people at home, then I think it'll be it'll be very gratifying. And, and you know, that's that's the attempt you you keep. So it's the you know, this it's as a human being you can't be different at work and it's the same traits, the same uh, you know, characteristics that you carry with you wherever you go, whether it's interacting with your friends, your family, your parents, mm -hmm. uh your child, I mean, it's the same. You have to be authentic. Otherwise, you know, you'll, you'll just be switching hats and eventually not really know who you are. So to me, it's a pretty straightforward thing. You know, you, I am who I am at work. Uh, you know, it's the old school week. What you see is what you get. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, hopefully you have enough you know, humility to continue to to, to embrace uh, new ideas. And and now, you know, today is a better version of me from yesterday and tomorrow will be a better version of me. I think if you can continue to, to display that characteristic, I think... Uh, it's going to be a long, fun ride uh, called life. So I always say the opposite of death is not life, but birth and everything else is in between. So um, the other part of this is consciousness. So, you know, a lot of what I talk about is, you know, consciousness in general means being, being more aware. But we, we have had like three levels of con uh, levels of consciousness that we define in, in 
in our book as well, in our programs, life is happening to me, which is obviously a victim mindset. You know, all this stuff happens to me, all the bad things happen to me. Number two, life is happening by me. I'm in charge, you know, the typical type A guy that, hey, you, I, I'm going to have nothing stand in my way and I control everything. And third is life is happening for you or through you. Um, use that word interchangeably. Um, what does consciousness mean to you? I think it's all of the above in different places. You can't just be in one phase all your life. You know, there are times you feel control, you know, lack of control. To be honest, first half of 2021 was life is happening to me because I can't control the fact that I'm losing employees every day to the Delta wave in India. You can't control it. You feel helpless, you feel powerless, and then you, you know, figure out what you want to do with it. But, you know, there are phases in life where you cannot control everything. You have to have that humility to understand. And then, of course, there are phases in life where you have to have enough confidence to be able to control, you know, what you really want to drive towards. And I think you can control a few more things in business than in your personal life. Uh, and then, of course, there are phases where, you know, you just go along because, you know, you're, you're going with the flow. So I think to me, consciousness uh, isn't really about being in control, isn't really about feeling the victim, but it's really about understanding how to deal with those different phases in different times. I mean, life is what happens when you make plans, right? Plans are useless. Planning is important. Mm -hmm. So that's a little bit of that, uh, that, you know, to me at least, that's what it, what it uh, means. Uh, and hopefully I want to make sure that I feel more in control than less. But at the same time, you know, you have to sometimes just accept that you'll never always be in control. I like the plans are useless and plans are important. Um, planning is important. I mean, planning is important. Um, Mio, you touched on the Maslow's hierarchy of needs earlier, right? Basically, we go through phases of life. Well, well that's an observable thing based on, let's call it statistics and you know how the world has lived so far. But it's, it's only the rare individuals that actually create impact. And that's very, very few in the world, as we know. Uh, and we can count them. You know, it's all, well, you know, the, that Martin Luther King or Mahatma Gandhi or Mother Teresa. So people use those examples, Nelson Mandela, et cetera. But it's a, a, lot, of, a lot of the things uh, that we, we talk about are applicable to business or, or life as well. But truthfully, though, it comes down to you have to apply who you are authentically to, the, to whatever it is you do. So it's what well, they say is it's how you do one thing is how you do everything, right? So if you're if you're constantly overly analytical, then that's what you do all day. So to make a change is is very hard. Uh, so I kind of see where what, what you said about the COVID. So the things that are those are out of out of our control anyway. But the life is happening through me or for me. Point is that it's all happening for our learning, right, or our collective growth of some some sort. And COVID was a great example of the world, you know, being completely challenged in ways that have, has never happened in in or hasn't happened in a long time. In the way that like, okay, well, we're all ready for some some new growth, right? So for those struggling, listening here to uncertainties of not just today, but you know, hey, what's coming now? People are scaring people about recession and other usual things that happen every eight to 10 years. What advice could you even possibly give someone like that who's, who's a leader, is successful, but feels now again disconnect in purpose and, you know, what is this now, the next next phase? Yeah, I think it is hard to, in a way, call these global events, whether it's the war in Ukraine, whether it's the recession in the U.S. or the Western world, whether it is potentially you know, the, the geopolitical situation in China. I mean, you, you can, trust me, you can think and ponder all about those and, and go down in life and everything will look very bleak. Mm -hmm. Or you can, you know, what we call 
you can't control the macro, you control the micro, you can control your actions and how you spend your time. And, you know, all of us need sources of inspiration, uh, me included. Uh, so just, you know, staying focused on what you need to do to continue to progress your your goals, uh, staying focused on what gives you the happiness to, to feel like you're making an impact. Uh, and the impact has different meaning for different people, right? Of course, at the top of the you know list are the names that you gave. But uh, the ability to, to even change one person's life in a positive manner is an impact. The ability to to you know help somebody make a good decision is an impact so i think it's a whether it's an impact at work whether it's impact outside of work i mean i know people who were super successful and 40 years old and decided to give everything up and you know go into philanthropy because that's what one they were fortunate enough to have enough financial freedom to do it uh, and two that's what they thought was going to be their impact uh, model so i think different answer for different people but what you cannot control you cannot just sit back and admire because we sometimes get into this mode of admiring the really beautiful problems yes. uh, without really finding a way to get around them. So so my only advice is the problem may be as beautiful as it seems and you can sit, sit back and admire it. And I think COVID was one of those things. It was so spectacularly uh, amazing in the way it just happened one level because it was nature. And on the other hand, it was, you know, how you deal with it uh, was very difficult. So I think don't admire the problem. Find ways to, to get around it. Do what you can do and small actions, small steps will eventually give you the answer. Awesome. Well, that's wisdom right there, guys. If you're listening and watching, take note. Okay, so this, uh, try to get to a closure here. I know we can go on forever. What have been for you, just maybe one or two, maybe three leadership lessons that you've learned you know, thus far in your life? Probably a topic for my next book, maybe. But I think very first lesson, and it's not something new that you'll hear, is you have to be authentic as a leader. Otherwise, you're not really a leader. You know, what's the number one thing needed to be a leader? You need people to follow you. They won't follow you if you're not authentic. So you won't really be a leader, you know, if you're not authentic. You have to, you cannot put on a leadership style and you cannot put on, you know, anything uh, because that does just doesn't work in the long run. Second, uh, leadership is not a popularity contest. You will, ha you will have to do things that are difficult, but it's not the things that you do, it's how you execute them that actually becomes important. Uh, and I think that's, that's the reason why if you're authentic and if you're genuine in the way you're going about doing your job every day, hopefully people will see that and you're, you, know, you have the ability to then uh, influence, uh, get uh, done what needs to get done. Uh, and I think finally it's a, uh, Leadership is actually a privilege because you, everybody is a leader. Uh, if you end up, you know, having a bigger impact or an opportunity to have a, you know, bigger number of followers, just by the virtue of the fact that I run a company that has 38,000 employees, I think it's a privilege. So it's, uh, I would say top of those three things come top to mind, top of mind to me. That's awesome. Those are the deep lessons that we all need to hear. Um, I mean, I, we, we say that, uh, or I talk about this. Leadership or entrepreneurship or running a business is a spiritual journey. And you can't separate the two because ultimately, if you're there to serve something, a purpose for your clients and for your team members and your stakeholders, as you said, it is a it is a sacred, it is a sacred space for you to pursue. And when you're when you're pursuing that, you really, you know, raising the level, obviously, when you're contributing to whether it's goods or services. I mean, you know, we take we talk about how many more pizza places do we need in the world? Well, somebody's bringing a new pizza of a, of, a, of their own expression that's authentic and different. Otherwise, they won't survive because they're serving at a different level. So, yes, I think it is definitely three great lessons, guys, if you want to take them down. All right, so one last question. Uh, I don't take anything for granted, Nathan. The wisdom, the learning that obviously uh, you're shared is, is, uh, is, is incredible. I've learned a lot from you over the years and, and even learning never stops, as, as we just discussed. And I've learned a lot in this conversation. 
So in that vein, what discovery might you've had in this conversation, if any? Again, I think the opportunity to just go through my life journey gave me the ability, the opportunity to really get grounded again. So thank mm. you for that. Well, yeah, you know, uh, never forget. So I think it's you, you gave me the opportunity to to really reflect on my own uh, journey over the last you know 45, 60 minutes. Uh, and of course, I've uh, you know I've seen your own transformation from what you did to what you're doing today, uh, for a number of reasons. That itself is inspirational to me. So I think uh, just keep inspiring and thank you for doing this. I really appreciate it. Thank you. I hope to have you more for your next book or maybe other things uh, we, you can share in life and you can certainly call on us listeners here in the, in the podcast or people who are watching. Is is there a way to reach you? Do you want me to put some details for them to be? Yeah, I think just the LinkedIn handle is uh, is fine. There is okay. almost uh, the best way to reach me is through my LinkedIn, uh, which is uh, publicly available. And Great. of course, you know, company website and everything else is available as well. But really glad that we could do this. Thank you so much for having me. Well, I appreciate it very much. So uh, awesome. Thanks again. Take care. I really hope you enjoyed this episode today. We strive to bring you conversations that make you think, reflect, and perhaps inspire you to take even one little step in your path towards personal growth and greater wisdom. Please download the show or the podcast episode that you just heard and leave us a comment so that we can continue to bring you meaningful and relevant topics in the future. Take care and thank you so much.